I was just thinking, Mark, you could have kept on going. I wouldn't have had to say so many things this morning. Thank you. Appreciate that reading. Appreciate everybody being here. And you might have some guests who are here for the first time. And we're really glad that you're here and hope that you can come back any opportunity you might be in our area. We are going to study this morning about Cornelius and, and his conversion. I want to start, first of all, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 30 with a question that is asked by the Philippian jailer who was on the verge of committing suicide when the apostle stepped in, told him not to harm himself, and he asked them, men, what should I do to be saved? What should I do to be saved is one of the most important questions that anyone can ever ask in their whole lifetime. It's a very important question, and the Bible encourages us to ask questions. The Bible encourages us to investigate the truths that are found in it. As Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourselves approved unto God. So that's why we're here this morning. We're here to study. We're here to learn from God's Word. Uh, several years ago, there was a, a TV series called The X-Files back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And it was basically about some FBI agents who would go about and, and try to investigate some rather odd or strange cases, cases that were mysterious, and, and see if they could come to the truth of the situation. Well, this morning, we're going to do some investigating of our own in what I call the conversion files. To the title. So we're going to look at a case of conversion in the New Testament as we investigate that question, what should I do to be saved? I'm really glad that you're here, and before we begin, let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this Lord's Day and this time we can be together as a family and to study from your word. Father, as we're about to open your word and to study about Cornelius and his conversion, I pray, Father, that the message of your word will come into everyone's hearts and that we'll learn the truths, Father, that apply to us and we'll see if we need to change, we need to take action, Father, that we will do that so we can be pleasing unto you. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to the Acts chapter 10. We're going to be studying from there mostly this morning as we look at this example of Cornelius and what we can learn about his conversion. I think we're going to see as we get through into this lesson and we're studying about Cornelius that there are four main lessons that we can take from this and that we can learn how do, what do we do in order that we can be saved. The first lesson I think that we can learn is that everyone needs salvation and that God has made salvation available to everyone. So as Mark just read in, there in Acts chapter 10 and verses 1 and 2, we learn about Cornelius. And Cornelius, by any standards, was a very good man. Not just a good man. He was a very good man. Again, it says there about him in verse 2, he was a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household, so he had an influence on his family. He gave alms generously. He was very charitable to the people. And he was a man who prayed all the time. He was a man given to prayer. Now, if we were to meet somebody like this in our lives, and you know what? I bet we know people like this. In fact, most of the people that you know 
are probably like this person. They're good people. They believe in God and they pray to God and they want their family to, to go to heaven and to live good lives and to pleasing, be pleasing unto God. But that in and of itself doesn't mean that someone is saved from their sin. And that's a very important lesson that we need to look at. Also look down at verse 22. The people that Cornelius sends to go get Peter, as they're talking to him, they make this statement, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the, of the Jews. Now Cornelius was a Roman soldier. And the Romans were conquerors over the Jews. But nevertheless, he was a very generous man to the Jews. And even the Jews thought very highly of this Gentile. He had a good reputation among them. But the fact of the matter is that as good as Cornelius was, he was still a sinner. We learn in Romans chapter uh, 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned. So even the good people that we know in our lives that aren't Christians, they're sinners. So even though they may have a great reputation and they may give and they may pray, we're all still sinners. Every single one of us is. As uh, Mark was reading there, verses 9 through 16 of this chapter 10, Peter has this vision while he's up on a, the housetop and God gives him this vision. He goes into a trance and he sees this sheet coming down from heaven, and it's full of all sorts of unclean animals. The types of animals that God had told the Jews that they were not to eat. And yet Peter is told to rise and to eat. And he says, no, I can't do this. These are unclean animals. I've never eaten something that is unclean before. And God speaks to him and says, what God has cleansed, you must not call, call common. And this was done three times says in verse 16. So God gives Peter this, this vision and this message so that he understands that they considered the Gentiles unclean. And they wouldn't have anything to do with the Gentiles, but that it's important to God that I'm saying they're worthy to enter the kingdom. That they also need to be saved from their sins. Because this is the point of the gospel in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all nations. Apostle Paul says. The gospel is needed by everyone. So it doesn't matter if you're a drug addict, a prostitute, or if you're a person of good reputation who's raising their family right. Everyone has sinned. And God has given the gospel to everyone. That's the first lesson I take from that. The second lesson I take from that, this uh, story of Cornelius' conversion, is that miraculous events or prayer alone will not save someone. There's some very interesting events that precede the conversion of Cornelius. One of which is the fact that he was a very prayerful man. It's mentioned so many times in the text here. We just read about it in chapter 10. If we uh, flip over to uh, <clears throat> yeah, chapter 10 and verse 3, we'll read that again. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming to him and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? 
So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. So he was sitting there praying to God when this angel appears to him. Now most people would consider the fact that someone prays that that's probably an indication that they're already saved. In fact, some people will even say, all you need to do to be saved is to pray. Just pray. Well, Cornelius was a prayerful man. But does that mean that he was saved? It also says that this angel appears to him in a vision. As miraculous event, an angel appears to him. And others might even say that, you know, if just an angel could appear to someone, obviously that shows that they're saved because God would only do that if someone has been saved. But the miraculous event of the angel or the prayers of Cornelius alone simply were not enough. We go on to read in chapter 10, turn down to verse uh, 30. Cornelius is recounting the vision that he had to Peter after Peter gets to his home. And he says, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa to call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So he's a prayerful man. He's seen a vision. And the angel tells him what he must do. So if he had already been saved at this point, he wouldn't have said that you need to send and that you need to hear something else. There's something more that he needs to do. Which brings me to the third lesson I think we can take from this story of the conversion of Cornelius, and that is the fact that before he's converted, there's another miraculous event, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him and those that were there. I'll pick up our reading down in verse 44 of chapter 10. Uh, Peter has been preaching a gospel message to them, and it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them as on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now there's only two times in the New Testament where we see God, his outpouring of his Holy Spirit in this way. One was in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches the first gospel sermon to the Jews there who had crucified the Lord. And remember, before he preaches that sermon, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and there's like tongues of fire on their head, and they're speaking in all sorts of different, different languages. Well, this is the second time that that happens. And in this instance, it's not the Jews upon whom the Holy Spirit is coming. It is upon the Gentiles. Certainly an amazing thing especially when it only happens two times in the Bible. But was this enough to save Cornelius? The fact that the Holy Spirit had come upon him and they were speaking in tongues and they were magnifying and praising God? Well, Peter says when he saw this, 
that there's still something else that he needs to do because he goes on to say in verse, in verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So why did the Holy Spirit come upon them if not to save them? The Holy Spirit came upon them to show that God's approved of Peter preaching the gospel to these Gentiles, to these non-Jews. Look in chapter 11. In chapter 11, after the events of Cornelius' conversion have occurred, Peter goes back to the church. And they're troubled that he has gone to the Gentiles to begin with because that was not something that they would do. In fact, they say in verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So they were not very happy that Peter had gone to the Gentiles. But Peter explained to them in order all the events that happened about the angel appearing to Cornelius, about him sending for them, about Peter having the vision of the clean and the unclean animals. And he tells them all of these events. And then he goes on to tell them down in verse 14 that he was told that he would go and preach to him words by which his household would be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And his conclusion then is, if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. So all of these events that we've read about, the, the good life of Cornelius, the vision that he saw, his prayer life, the vision that he, Peter had seen, the fact that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, these are all important in the salvation of Cornelius. I don't underestimate any one of those facts because God is definitely involved here. But not one of these things as yet has resulted in the salvation of Cornelius because he's told that he needs to hear this message. There's something that he needs to hear in order that he can be saved. So we have this man of good character, of good deeds, of prayer, and these miracles going on, but there's something else that needs to be done. Which leads me to our fourth and our, our final point, where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning, in that what Cornelius needed to do was three things. He needed to hear the truth, he needed to obey God, and he needed to be immersed in water so that he could be saved. And we're going to look at each one of these three points, and then the lesson's going to be yours. First of all, he needs to hear the truth. Why is it important that Cornelius hear the truth? Well, if we look again in Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 11, where we're at, verse 13, Peter said that he was called and told to go preach to him because he said, I, words will be preached to you by which you and your household will be saved. Think about th this as we read several verses now, that many times it said that he's going to tell you something, that you're going to hear something, or there are certain words that you need to hear in order that you can be saved. Why is it important that we hear these words? 
Why was it so important that this be mentioned throughout our text, that words would be spoken, that words would be heard? Look back in chapter 10 and verse 42. Now in chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, when Peter begins his message to Cornelius and the, the people that Cornelius had gathered there, he says, I, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And verse 42, And he commanded us to preach to the people, and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And that last phrase is what is so important here. The receiving of remission of sins. You see, we don't receive remission of sins by just praying to God. We don't receive remission of sins by being a good person and, and by having charitable deeds and by having a good reputation. We don't receive the remission of sins if we see a miraculous event. They don't even receive the remission of sins if the Holy Spirit completely overcame them so that they could speak in tongues. The way that someone receives remission of sins we're told in the Bible, is by hearing and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do we have to hear? Because Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We can't have faith unless we hear. We have to hear the word of God. Why is it important that I hear the word of God? Romans 10, 17. Without faith, or Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by the word of God. I can't please God without faith. So we're not talking about a salvation of works. A person can be so good, and a person can do so many good things, but good works don't save. What saves is our faith. And Peter preached this, this short little gospel message here. But it covers everything that every man, every woman, every person needs to, to believe in Jesus Christ, as he says in verse 3, the Lord of all. That's the message. Jesus Christ is Lord of God. God anointed this Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He spent his life here on earth going about doing good, helping people get out from under the, the power and the bondage of the devil. And that's the message. 
that needed to be heard by Cornelius and by his friends. Hearing the truth produces faith. But the second part there is required is obedience. We must have obedience to the words that we hear. Obedience to God's commands based on the faith in the power of Jesus Christ to save us when we're baptized. In chapter 10 and verse 47, it's exactly what Peter said. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. If we look back in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the other example of where the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. Peter is preaching the message there, and you're probably very familiar with what he said when the people ask a very important question on this occasion. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had just been convicted in their heart of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who they were looking forward to. And what does Peter respond to their question in verse 38? Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He also says in verse 41, that those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So it is important to hear the word, and the word produces faith, but that faith has to result in obedience. Obedience to God when we're told that we need to be baptized. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore into all the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So obedience to God's word, obedience in our faith means that we're going to be baptized. We're going to uh, fulfill the commandments, not of only the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says we must be baptized in order to have the remission of our sins. And then the third <laughs> phrase in that point number four is that when the Bible talks about baptism, it means immersion. Many people have different ideas about what baptism is. Is baptism sprinkling? Is it pouring? Why should I be baptized? Do I, am I baptized simply to show that I'm already saved? Or am I baptized in order to enter the church? We learn from the Bible when we look at other examples of conversion, there's, there's little doubt that baptism means immersion. Look over at another example of, of conversion in Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8, as the gospel was being preached to this eunuch by Philip, he preaches the gospel and he comes to the end of his lesson, and it says in verse 38, he commanded the, well, after the eunuch's confession of faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, in verse 37, it says in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away 
so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And notice the word in, in there. In verse 38, it says, they both went down into the water. And then verse 39, it says, they both came up out of the water. So as far as the quantity of water, there had to be a significant amount for both of these men to go down into it where he was baptized. And, and Mitch did a great job last Sunday looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, on what the Bible says that baptism represents. He said that baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So baptism is immersion. So when we kind of summarize our points this morning, we're looking at this example and we're investigating this conversion of Cornelius, we see just a few things here, what it means to obey the gospel. Sometimes we use that phrase a lot, but we don't really give any definition or examples of it. What does it mean to obey the gospel? Obeying the gospel means, first of all, hearing the word of God. Obeying the gospel means believing the word of God. And obeying the gospel means that we will obey it by being baptized and follow the, the commandments of Jesus for the remission of our sins. How important is obeying the gospel? How important is it? It's so important that when a person understands what they need to know, excuse me, when they know what they need to do to be saved, they do it. They don't put it off. When the jailer said, what can I do to be saved? And they told him, it says at that very hour of the night, he was baptized. When the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip are going down the road, and he says, well, what hinders me from being baptized? Because he believed. Do you believe? Yes. Then let's then do it. Why is that important? Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 78, verse 7 through 8. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord returns, those who have not obeyed the gospel, it says that he'll take vengeance on them in flaming fire. When is the Lord going to return? Well, we don't know, do we? But we do know he will return as a thief in the night. That he will return at a time when it's unexpected. And when we don't know that, then if we know what to do to be saved, then we're going to want to do it as soon as we can. Just think of those words here, obeying the gospel. Is it important? Well, obviously it is, but thankfully we have... The grace of God is what gave us this gospel. And the grace of God is what tells us that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And if you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you are 
ready to make a decision to dedicate your life to serving Him. I just want to encourage you with these words in the, the New Testament. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. Someone who obeys the gospel will be saved. And you have that opportunity this morning, right now, to obey the gospel. And if you'd like to do that, we invite you and encourage you to come do that as we stand and sing.